Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Jocelyn Bouchard. Jocelyn has been in animal welfare for over 30 years. She's originally from Vancouver, British Columbia, and after a brief career as a veterinary technician in private clinics, she joined the British Columbia SPCA as a vet tech in their high-volume spay-neuter clinic in the mid-1980s. In 1993, she moved to Maui, where she joined the Maui Humane Society and remained with them for the next 21 years, the last 11 of which she served as their CEO. She earned her kawa in 2004 In 2014, she moved to the island of Oahu and joined the Hawaiian Humane Society as their director of operations. While with Hawaiian Humane, she oversaw a $10 million building project. In late 2016, she moved to Arizona and joined the Yavapai Humane Society as their executive director. During her 31 years in animal welfare, Jocelyn has worked in many areas, including animal care, veterinary, education, volunteers, marketing and development, operations, and she has served as executive director, CEO. She was in charge of animal control functions, both at Maui Humane and Hawaiian Humane. Jocelyn lives in Prescott Valley, Arizona, with her 17-year-old son and two dogs. Jocelyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 30 years in animal welfare. That's quite a statement. Yeah, I started when I was like three. (laughs) How did I get involved, did you say? Um, So I was kind of deciding what I wanted to do with my life, and it was actually my veterinarian at the time. I took my dog in for an appointment, and he said, you know, you have such a passion for animals. Have you considered getting into the veterinary field? And so I got my degree as an animal health technician, uh, which in Canada is like a veterinary technician, and as you you just stated, worked in private practice for just an eye blink, and then I had an opportunity to fill in at the BCSPCA for um, somebody who was taking a leave of absence. And and I, that was it. I was kind of hooked. I, I loved the combination of my passion for pets with, with the impact that I could have in, in the animal welfare field. Well, I find that fascinating that the British Columbia SPCA had a high-volume spay-neuter clinic in the mid-'80s. So that is yes. incredible progressive in my mind. It, absolutely, and, and, and it really was high volume. I mean, we had um, two large surgery suites with, if I recall correctly, two or three tables each, and the uh, technicians were literally just, like the vets would, veterinarians, when they were done with a the surgery, they'd hold their hands up and we'd, we'd um, put another animal down for them. So we were doing hundreds of spays and neuters a day, even back then, yeah. And were they doing pediatric spay neuter at that point in time, too? You know, um, not as much. I don't. I don't remember the pediatric piece being as as significant as it is. It has become, but we were certainly doing them. I, you know, at four or five months. I don't remember necessarily the the eight week olds. Uh, we were doing them a little younger than they were in private practice, though. And then you went from from cold Vancouver to warm Maui. Tell me yeah. what it was like in Maui in nineteen ninety three. 
Well, um, yeah, it's grown, it's grown a little bit since that time. Um, in fact, it's interesting. I remember the day I arrived on Maui, Kmart was opening, and it was a big, big deal. And I found <laughs> out just recently that the Kmart is closing because now, of course, they have, they have Walmart and Target and all these other great stores. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a bit of a transition, but very positive and, and very, very great. Of course, Maui's a beautiful place, and I was blessed to have lived there for as long as I did. And then you were with the Maui Humane Society for 21 years. So what did you see happen for community cats for when you first arrived to over the, that 20-year period? Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've had a lot of aha moments in my career. And um, I, when I initially started with, with Maui Humane, you know, I really didn't believe in outdoor cats and, and or feral cats or community cats. I believe that cats should have a home, you know, live in a home. They were pets. And perhaps because of that belief, my uh, boss at the time decided that I was going to be in charge of the the brand new feral cat program. And there were volunteers in the community that were feeding and supporting these cats that were looking for support from, from our shelter, from Maui Humane Society. And it was through working with them that I really came full circle on on, on the concept and, and realized that, in fact, true feral cats, uh, uh, will, a shelter is no place for a true feral cat. And, you know, I know you use the term community cats. And, of course, within that global definition, there are, well, really, uh, even if you, if you go a little further into that definition and use free roaming cats or slash outdoor cats, you could have somebody's owned pet. You could have a uh, friendly, unowned stray. You could have an unsocialized, scared cat. And you can have what, what I call a true feral, which is a cat that really is more wild than domestic. And therefore, you're probably not going to see much of that cat or get very close to it. And we had all of the above in Hawaii, given that we had no natural predators for the cats and, and such a great climate. So it became really obvious really quickly that those true ferals and even some of the unsocialized uh, cats, the shelter really was no place for them. There was really only one outcome for them in a shelter. They didn't want to be in a cage. It was almost inhumane to keep them in a cage. Nobody wanted to adopt them because they were unsocialized or, or you know, true ferals. And so the only way to have a positive outcome for those cats was to support them out in the community. And in fact, many of them were thriving out in the community. So I had come from sort of this mental standpoint of outdoor cats, which is true, I think, for uh, certainly for tame cats that have other options, you know, live a much shorter, harder life than an indoor cat. But there, there was really no good alternative for these cats. And in fact, with a little oversight and the incredible passion that these community volunteers brought to their colonies of cats, they were being supported quite well if we could just spay or neuter them. And in fact, they would maintain a number in a given area. So we were able to work with golf courses and hotels and other areas to uh, convince them that, in fact, if they kept a stable colony of spayed or neutered cats that could not therefore reproduce, it was more effective than um, trapping, euthanizing, and, and, and removing the cats from the landscapes because they were, as fast as we could do that, there were more coming to fill the void. And uh, my understanding is, and tell me if I'm wrong, in Hawaii that the 
spay-neuter capacity of high-volume spay-neuter clinics, there really aren't that many, so it's it's tough to be able to um, handle the capacity of surgeries that are needed in that area. That is true, and now that is changing, and I will tell you, as I left Maui in, in 2014, we were working to kind of identify, really identify the numbers because there wasn't any sort of scientific identification of that number. It was really more sort of people's perspective and and so really trying to identify that number and become very strategic about our spay neuter. So looking at, at zip codes and, 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 and going in and, and, and identifying one area. So basically you were able to get 70 plus percent of that population and really have an, have an impact on that population. So you weren't doing what I just said, which is kind of going in and as fast as you were pulling them out to either be euthanized or spayed and neutered, they were multiplying back in the colony. And so it was sort of, you know, one step ahead, two, two behind kind of thing. And since then, the Maui Humane Society has, has really focused on free spay neuters and uh, have done a lot. Uh, they've had what's called a mash clinic which is where they sort of just put up a, a clinic and do these huge spay-neuters. And I think that they've, they've made some progress there. And then on Oahu at Hawaiian Humane Society, uh, which I just left in, in November, they uh, just made an announcement that they will be opening a high-volume, uh, high-quality spay-neuter clinic there, and their focus is on, on the feline population. So that's good news for Hawaii, it sounds like. It is. Very good news, yes. So progress progress is, is being made, for sure. So we can anticipate probably seeing the load and the impact on the shelters with regards to um, the number of cats coming in should should be scaling down. I don't know if that has been the case over the years while you were there. So we would see where there were really good caretakers, and, and as I say, I've come full circle. I am now a firm believer in trap, neuter, return, and I add an M to it and manage because, you know, I, I still believe that you can pull out kittens and, and they tame fairly quickly and, and can get into homes. You know, I still believe that the ideal lifestyle for a cat is as a pet in, in the home, but that's just not the, an option for every cat out there. So the ultimate goal would be to eliminate the feral cat population, how realistic or how soon that can happen, I don't know. But yes, we would certainly see where they were really uh, um, high-functioning caretakers that were very focused on the spay-neuter, removing friendly cats because people still dump cats. Um, they would hear that there was a, a, a colony with caretakers and they would dump cats. So really managing that colony and, and um, removing sick cats, things like that from the area, we were able to see not just a stabilizing of the numbers, but a decline in the numbers uh, over the years. So uh, proving it could be done. Um, unfortunately, that to date, that was just in certain pockets, certain areas, and, and globally, you know, there's still a challenge in Hawaii with, with free roaming or community cats. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote community cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love community cats? You can help with email and groups in your state to let them know about the CCP 
and offer them the benefit of Community Cat Swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. <coughs> During the month of April, it's Kitten Month. Many of our shows will focus on kittens and kitten programs and how to help all of those kittens that we're going to see this summer. Please check out the shows. I also understand there's some challenges with regards to the bird population along with the cats. And so that's sort of a very delicate dance also. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, cats are just one predator for the birds. I I will say in Hawaii, we have a unique ecosystem and we have some species of of birds in particular. Monk seals were another thing that were identified as as at risk, specifically from cats and toxoplasmosis. There were those species that, that there was a lot of concern about, but cats are just one predator. You know, not surprisingly, humans, the number one predator. We would also hear cases where loose dogs were going in and disrupting nests and and creating problems as well. So I'm not sure that that cats weren't taking more of the heat than they deserved, but but it was certainly, certainly a factor that you can't ignore completely. And Jocelyn, now you have moved from Hawaii to Arizona and you're with a new organization with Yavapai. And tell me what are the differences that you're seeing from Hawaii to Arizona? Yes, yeah, so it's really interesting over here, and I, I've just been here three months now, so I'm still a, still a newbie, still got the new car smell. But <laughs> and I and so this is my perception, but I have had uh, specifically cat people agree with me on this. Not only do we not see the numbers of of outdoor free roaming slash community cats that that we did in Hawaii, because of course we have coyotes, we have hawks, we have owls. Uh, apparently, or uh, I've been told, or, or uh, probably the, the biggest predator for cats here. We do have winter here in Prescott where I live, so it gets quite cold over the winter, so it's, the seasons aren't as, as kind to the cats. But also, interestingly, um, I've noticed that there is, uh, cats are not as popular of pets as dogs are. So there's there's a stigma to cats here too, I think, that is probably where I'm going to start when I look at, you know, how, how this organization specifically can be doing more for cats is is really how do we elevate the status of cats because not so many people have them as pets and still a lot of people who have pet cats let them outdoors and here in particular it's a very risky place to be outdoors if you're a cat or a small dog for that matter so yeah do you have a a high volume clinic in Prescott I mean what's the the general sort of population environment like in in Prescott Sure, and we do. We actually, the Yavapai Humane Society operates a, a public spay-neuter clinic, and of course, we have a clinic here on site as well for the shelter animals. So uh, we do, and we receive funding, and we receive funding for cats in particular to do the spay-neuter. And so we do support um, people that uh, take care of, of colonies of cats. Currently, we don't accept them here at the shelter. We don't accept feral cats in because we don't have, again, we don't have that positive outcome for them. So we refer people to the spay-neuter clinic and uh, try to get people to get them spayed uh, or neutered and released back out if, in fact, they're feral and not able to be adopted. And they have options 
for free spay neuter for feral cats in your community? Yes, we like do have funding. Yeah, we, we like that. Correct. We do have a funding that allows for very low cost or free, um, depending on what your situation is. And we're certainly willing to work with people. And that, of course, is something else I'll look at. We we never want cost to be the reason that people aren't spaying or neutering their pets, whether it's a cat or a dog or or, or free roaming feral or or a pet. So that's definitely something we want to make sure is not a barrier to people getting that procedure done. So based on what you've seen with community cats starting in Vancouver, working your way down through Hawaii, now into Arizona, what do you think life is going to be like for community cats nationwide in the next five or 10 years? Well, I do think that there's been a, a really great focus. You know, one thing I love about this animal welfare field and, and that has kept me in it so long is that it's very dynamic and we're constantly challenging ourselves to come up with new and innovative ideas. And with cats, for sure, we've seen them sort of come from being kind of the second class citizen. I mean, if you look at many communities, the laws, cruelty laws and so on even sometimes don't even apply to cats. I think that's changing. But the mindset is changing as it did with me. Uh, For some cats, being outdoors is okay, and they can be supported out there, and it's certainly a viable option. They have good, decent quality of life uh, as opposed to coming into a shelter and being euthanized. So I think that's very positive. It's difficult because in some cases, people, when you see cats on the landscape, one of the things that concerns me is people tend to uh, see them more like pests or even vermin. And we, it was, it was very interesting in Hawaii. We saw that dichotomy where somebody would own a cat and love, love, love their cat, but see that outdoor cat that was maybe spraying in their yard or beating up their cat or something like that as nothing more than a pest. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. You know, you can look at a, a dog or a cow or something and say, well, that's a domestic animal. And cats kind of live in two worlds at the same time, both in the wild and and domestic as our pets. And so it'll be interesting to see how that becomes reconciled as we move forward with some of these new ideas. And and you've had responsibility for animal control functions and being out there yes. in the community on the streets. That's it's a very uh, political dance that you have to do in order to keep the peace. It is, it is, and and so you know it, it's interesting. And there, I know there are many communities, and I applaud them that are you know as they pick up cats in the community, they'll spay and neuter and return them right back out. I also know, having performed that function that, you know, we would receive calls and people would spend time to trap those cats. And then so then to return them to that area, especially if they were, and I'm I'm using air quotes here, which you can't see, of course, but causing problems, right? Like maybe beating up the neighborhood cat or amazing how footprints on a car is like a big deal to people. They really don't like that. Or digging up the garden or something like that, using the garden as a litter box or or the sandbox as a litter box. And so people really wanted those cats removed. They didn't want them returned. And I think that is an issue that animal control that that is doing the returns, the spay, neuter, and return uh, are facing in some communities. And and therein lies the issue with do people then get upset with those cats and are we putting the cats at risk by returning them somewhere where they may not want to be versus do we advocate for the cats and educate the people? I I think that's the next step in, in, in where we're going with these solutions. 
Jocelyn, if uh, folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing and the organization that you're with at this point in time, how could they find you? We have a great website at YavapaiHumane.org. We're also on Facebook, and folks are welcome to contact me directly. My email is jbouchard, that's J-B-O-U-C-H-A-R-D, at YavapaiHumane.org, and Yavapai is Y-A-V-A-P-A-I. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just that I'm excited. I, I come to work energized every day. As I say, it's a dynamic field, and I'm always excited to see what we're going to do next. There's a lot of brilliant people doing this work, and I'm looking forward to finding some great solutions for cats here in Yavapai County as well. That's great. Jocelyn, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much again for inviting me. Support Boston's Gifford Cat Shelter Spring Soiree and Silent Auction on April 22nd from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Needham Town Hall. There will be fun food and festivities. For more information, go to GiffordSpringSoiree.org or go to GiffordCatsShelter.org. Ah!